Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Uh, so we have an exciting story of David and Goliath this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read out some verses on the screen behind you if you haven't got them in your Bible. About a young David talking to King Saul. Starting at verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight, for, and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on the coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, put it put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag and his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come with me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give, you, give the, carcass of the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that, there, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. 
The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Uh, good morning, church. It's great to be here uh, again. Uh, thanks for having me. It wasn't that long ago. I was here in the Heart Shaped Generosity series, so it's, it's good to be back again and to, to see familiar faces. Let's get into this story. I, I love... Um, I love that reading. I love hearing the story of David and Goliath, and I think there's so much we can glean from it. So let's get into it too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. And I pray, Lord, today as we hear from it again, Lord, that your, your spirit will convict our hearts of, of the truths in it and convict our hearts towards you, towards uh, a, a life of repentance and obedience, but one that sees you as our king, one that sees uh, you as, as our Lord and Savior. Help us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen. I came across an article last year uh, about the Ukraine-Russia war. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been following it, but it was titled Ukraine vs. Russia, a modern-day David and Goliath story. Uh, in the article, there's a quote from someone that says this, we have elderly Ukrainian women making Molotov cocktails in their basement. If that's not a David and Goliath story, I don't know what is. And if you remember anything about it in the last year, you'd know that the Ukrainian men who are not soldiers, they're standing up to fight, People, who are, uh, people are doing what they can to support their country. You've got a man called uh, Zelensky, who's known as a comedian actor, who's now the president, and he's the leader of Ukraine, and he's standing with the people in the midst of battle. And you can understand why people will call it a David and Goliath story, this small country going up this, this, the massive forces of Russia. And it's a phrase, isn't it, people even who don't go to church or who don't know much about the Bible use to describe the underdog story. We all love an underdog story, don't we? we uh, it makes us want to root for the Ukrainians, the grandmas making Molotov cocktails. It makes, it makes headlines. It, it makes good storytelling. It pulls on our heartstrings. The small individual going up against a giant corporation. The losing team with all the rejects going up the super athletic superstars. We love the underdog story, and that's why there are so many movies about it as well. Karate Kid, Mighty Ducks, Remember the Titans, Dodgeball, Space Jam. Pursuit of Happiness, all these movies, that, I don't know if you know any of them, but all these stories about the underdog that rises up and uses their apparent weaknesses to their advantage, finding the strength within to conquer their fears, being empowered to beat the odds against you. We feel it. We've been there before. We hear these stories and we're empowered, we're inspired, we believe we can be the heroes of our own story if we just find the strength within we can save ourselves from the misery and despair. We can slay the giants in our lives. Just believe in yourself. Now, maybe I'm a little cynical, but as good as those stories are, how realistic are they in our lives? Every moment of every day, are you slaying giants? I mean, there are some enemies in life that you just simply can't win against on your own, right? Right now, my giant is a toddler that keeps getting sick and wakes up throughout the night. I don't, I don't have control over that. We heard it just before when hearing about Ben. There are things that we, that we don't have control over. The economy, job security, difficult relationships, loneliness, mental health, sometimes sickness, even death. 
Devour the self-help books. Yeah, do that. Listen to the gurus, but sometimes as brave and strong as you are, surely there are times when you just feel defeated, right? Physically, mentally, emotionally. Where can we turn to when the the struggle is too great? When the fears and the circumstances before us, they just can't be slayed by our wits, our abilities, our own inner strength. You see, the David and Goliath story is one that is, well, is, is so well known in the Bible, especially in churches. But what if it's not the typical underdog story? And what if it's been completely misunderstood? Today, I want us to see who the true hero of the story is and how that hero changes everything for us in the way we face our fears and struggles, even the giants that threaten our very lives. We're reading this book, 1 Samuel. Uh, it happened 3,000 years ago. You guys will be going through Ruth. Uh, Ruth happened before Samuel. Uh, Samuel uh, is a prophet. He's a priest. He, he speaks the Word of God to God's people in the Old Testament. That's why it's called 1 Samuel. Uh, in chapter 8, we hear about how uh, the people, Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted a king to lead over them. They didn't want God to be their king anymore. They wanted to look like the nations around them. They wanted a human king. So God gave them a king, a king called Saul that we read about. Uh, in doing so, they were rejecting God. And Saul, he's okay. He's a tall, handsome man at first. He, he seems like he's up for the job. In chapter 15, though, we hear that Saul stuffs up. He becomes arrogant. He disobeys God. And consequently, God rejects him as king in favor of someone else. In favor of someone else, a, a shepherd boy, a boy named David, the one we read about in our story today. Now, I want to introduce you to the characters, David, Goliath, and all that. Let me introduce you to David first. We have to go to chapter 16 to do that, all right? So, we're going to be flipping around a bit. It'll be on the screen, though, so you can follow along. Uh, God calls Samuel to go to this town of Bethlehem to meet a man called Jesse and have his son stand before him, right, to anoint the next king in line. He gets there, and, and this is what happens, verse 7 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one and so that's what happens. That's, it might not be on the screen, but that's what happens. I imagine this is, what, what happens is, yes, there it is. That's the rest of 12 and 13. Uh, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And the power of the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. All right? And so you got Samuel, he's coming to Jesse. He says, you know, line up your sons. I want to see them. And I, I don't know what you're imagining, right? I imagine like a, a bodybuilding competition, right? Jesse has all his sons lined up. They're all there. They're flexing their muscles, you know, pecs are dancing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, different poses, all look like the size of Kieran. You know, that's, you know, that's what they're doing. They're, so they're standing there in front of him, and they look really impressive. And, and, and Samuel, he's told, don't look at their outward appearance. What's interesting is they don't even bring the youngest son to the audition. He's not there, the shepherd boy, David. David seems like the most unlikely candidate, so they don't even bother calling him over. You've got all these big brothers there. They look like king material. David, some shepherd boy, he's forgotten about. Yeah, we're told he's handsome, sure, healthy features, but outwardly he doesn't look like a, a warrior type. What we're meant to understand is David is chosen by God, not based on our, our sort of human expectations of what might and power look like, but what God sees in the heart. 
And so we see God choosing this young man with, with God's Spirit coming powerfully upon him. Uh, this, this, this is setting up the foundation, really, for the context of the battle where he goes up against the giant Goliath in chapter 17. Let's meet Goliath now. I've got it on the screen as well, 17 verse 4. We're gonna t- we, it tells us about who this Goliath is. He's a champion. There's a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. This guy is described as, as really a giant. Uh, if you don't know your cubits and span like I didn't at the, when I read this, it's about three meters tall uh, from what the Bible footnotes will tell you. Now, now, that's taller than any NBA player, okay? Uh, in the Guinness World Records, I think the tallest guy in modern history is Robert Wadlow at 2.72 meters. Uh, when you think about those guys, you think tall, lanky, uh, Robert Wadlow in the Guinness World Records, he suffered from something called pituitary gigantism, which leads to abnormal growth. He's tall, yes, but he saw this lanky, slender man type of, he needs crutches to walk. Apparently, it's a common thing to have health issues if you have this pituitary gigantism. Now, that doesn't seem like the case with the giant Goliath. He's not just tall and lanky, he's beefy. He's wearing armor that weighs about 5,000 shekels, which is about 57 kilograms of armor. That's, that's not far off how much I weigh. But this is also the ancient Middle East, too. Okay, the ancient Middle East, a time where people lived a lot longer than us. Goliath isn't the only giant or very tall person in the Bible. There are others. He's big. He's strong. He's had weapons that seem enormous to carry. He sounds scary, terrifying. Scaled bronze armor. His armor is laid on like like scales that make him look like a giant serpent, an indestructible giant snake ready to fight. We're told he's the champion of the Philistines. He comes out of the Philistine camp, and he's going to be their gladiator. He's a scary dude. And on, the, on top of that, let's hear the challenge. On verse 8, the next slide, it says this, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He's, he's, he's intimidating, isn't he? A little bit arrogant. The champion of the Philistines calling out for Israel to send a champion into battle. A winner takes all fight. If, you know, if, if Israel loses Goliath, the whole nation will be enslaved to the Philistine, vice versa. And so you hear this challenge, give me a man, let us fight each other, choose a man amongst you to be your champion, taunting Israel. And like every soldier in Israel at this point, you'd be terrified too, wouldn't you? In verse 16, we hear that for 40 days he does that. And now we should all be thinking the same thing, shouldn't we? Right now, we should all be thinking, who is the tallest and strongest man in Israel at the moment? Who is the one that Israel has chosen to go out and fight their battles? Haven't they already chosen their champion? Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they pleaded to God, I think it's on the screen, this one, uh, to, to God to give them a king. Why? 8 verse 20, then they will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They've got their champion. It's King Saul. 
a head taller than the rest, a warrior king, Israel's giant, who was enthroned as king to go out and fight their battles. Where is the king? We read it. Uh, it's in verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Paralyzed in fear, hiding with Israel. I don't blame him. Would you, do you, Goliath, he's, he's a three-meter-tall giant, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. That's scary. And while this is happening, David, the shepherd boy, enters the scene. Remember, he's Jesse's youngest son, the youngest of eight. His three older brothers, they're already up there with the army. He hasn't been invited to the party because he's probably too small, too young. He's got four other brothers who, who aren't there as well. He's the last in line. But he rocks up because his dad asks him to bring supplies to the battlefront. And while he's there, he hears Goliath taunting the Israelite army, and he sees everyone cowering in fear. I'll pick it up from verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, now so far, we haven't heard David say anything at least recorded for us in the Bible, right? These are his first words that the author wants the reader, us to, to hear. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? How dare this man taunt the people of God, the God who's the God of Israel, the God who protected them this far, the God who has led them out of slavery, given them the promised land, the God who's majestic and mighty in power. How dare this Philistine say such a thing and threaten God's people like this? David might be young, might not be a soldier, but he's not going to let this slide. He's not going to let this slide when there's this rude, arrogant man disrespecting his God. And we see the contrast, don't we? Saul, Israel's king, Israel's supposed champion, he sees Goliath. He sees with his eyes this giant, this mighty warrior, and he feels fear. David, David sees Goliath, and he sees Goliath from God's perspective, another small, puny human who thinks he's all that but pales in comparison to who the great, mighty God is. David wasn't scared of Goliath. He recognized that God is the one who Goliath should be scared of. David had the right view of God and who God is. He recognizes the greatness of God, even in the face of this great giant that stands before him. And so as the story goes, David stands before Saul and he says, I volunteer as tribute. And Saul says, he's too young. You're too young. You're too inexperienced to fight this battle. David responds. We read it. David said to Saul, your servant, verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I read this. And I was thinking, what was I doing in my youth as a teenager? <laughs> Playing video games, skateboarding, drinking goon out of a bag. You know, that's like the things that you do as a, like before I was a Christian. Things I, I did with my friends, right? This guy David, he's fighting bears and lions with his bare hands to protect his sheep, to protect his flock. Not, not only does David recognize God, he stands in courage, remembering God's protection over him. Remembering how God has faithfully rescued him in the past from the mouths of lions and bears. David's no stranger to danger, but he can see that there is a living God who has in the past protected him and a God who continues to protect him. It isn't like Saul hasn't either. Saul has gone into battles and you know, seen God at work in and through him. 
But here Saul's so shook, isn't he? He isn't, he, isn't, he isn't thinking about God. He's not thinking about the power of God. He's just afraid. So afraid. So afraid that he'll let this little shepherd boy go into battle for him. He tries to put his own armor onto David and his sword, but David is encumbered. He, I'd imagine it's like that, that, the teenager wearing his dad's suit for the first job interview. It's oversized. It's uncomfortable. He can't fight in Saul's armor. Instead, he walks into this battle without armor, with a staff and a sling, five smooth stones from the stream, we're told. Let's be clear, nothing special about these five stones. You might have heard a televangelist or a fridge magnet tell you they're identified as special stones, stones of faith or prayer or service, whatever. And these stones can slay a giant in your life. I'm sure they have good intentions, but it's just not right. We all know, all we know is that they're smooth stones, which means they're pretty, you know, probably pretty good for skimming along the water, <laughs> Good for you know, using in a sling to throw giants. As David approaches the battlefield, Goliath sees him. Verse 43, let's read it again. It's on the screen, I think. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath's words, they sound terrifying, but David responds with this, confidence, this courage. For every onlooker, I imagine no one is betting on David to win this one. I mean, picture it, the young, handsome boy David with a staff in his hand, some stones in a sling. It looks like he stands no chance, but while Goliath might be a giant covered with his heavy bronze armor, a warrior that has slain thousands before, David comes to the battlefield, and he's covered with something far greater than armor. He comes covered with the power of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, the God of the armies of Israel. You see, this isn't an underdog story, finding the power within. It's the power of God that David has in this battle. He always had the upper hand. We know, that, we know what happens. The battle finishes before it even begins. David runs fearlessly into this battle, takes out his sling, throws a stone in the forehead of Goliath, and Goliath falls face down on the ground. Remember, David has no sword, but he uses the enemy's sword he unsheaths it, kills Goliath, cuts off his head. A little glory detail there. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because um, if you remember, I came here in May and I preached a, a sermon here in 1 Samuel as well in chapter 4 and 5. And what happens there in those earlier chapters is the Ark of God is captured by the Philistines and it's taken into the Temple of Dagon. I don't know if you remember that. And what happens is uh, the next day they wake up in the, temple, uh, in the Temple of Dagon. There's no one there, but the statue has fallen down face down before the Ark of the Lord. So they put the statue back up. The next day they rock up again. There's only the Ark of the Lord and the statue in the room. Again, they wake up the next day. The statue's fallen down. But this time, Dagon's head has been cut off. You see what's happening here? From chapter 4 and 5, here now in chapter 17, David flexes not his power, his might, and his courage. He flexes the power of God in this very battle. He shows Israel and the Philistines who the living God is. And that this Goliath, this giant, will bow down, face down, and have his head cut off to remember who Yahweh, the living God, is. 
Now, that's interesting, isn't it? But while what's even more interesting is if we trace the story throughout the whole Bible, doesn't David point us to an even greater champion? One that flexes God's strength and power, who's God's Messiah, God's King, God's Savior, who rescues God's people, the one who will crush the serpent's head for us. Jesus has slayed the greatest enemy. Jesus slayed Satan, sin, and death. While David uses Goliath's own weapon, we know our Savior, Jesus, uses death itself, the enemy's weapon, to conquer and achieve victory on the cross so that Satan and sin have no power over us. The giant has been slain. God has given us our champion. And like David, he's the unexpected king from Bethlehem, an unarmed shepherd leader who might look on the outside small and weak, but is covered with the power of God as he defeats the enemy for us. You see, for some of us here, we, we might have grown up and we read this story and we hear it on YouTube and people tell us, dare to be a David. Have faith and courage like David. Use those five stones to slay your giants. But that's not what's going on here, is it? If you were one of the original readers of the Scriptures, if you heard this story, if you were an Israelite hearing about David defeating Goliath, you're not thinking, I can be like David. You'd be associating yourselves with the rest of Israel, fearful of the enemy who stands before us. We should be remembering God and His faithfulness to His people. The God who protects His people, fights for His people, who raises up saviors like David. See, when we try to be like David, aren't we just preaching ourselves the the gospel of self-help? Look within and you can slay your giants. There's actually a really clever book. It's called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I've got an image of it on the screen. A brilliant author. I love Malcolm Gladwell's writings. He writes some great books, tells really great stories to empower leadership and courage and self-help. And in this book, David and Goliath, he retells the story of this, this story and frames it with the underdog, on underdog theme. David might seem like an underdog, he says, but in reality, Goliath is disadvantaged. He's got heavy armor on. He's probably suffering from mental, oh, not mental, health issues, pituitary gigantism. David is smaller, nimble, with a sling as his weapon of choice. He strategically defeats Goliath. He claims that David was always going to win that fight because he was at a greater advantage. That's what Malcolm Gladwell writes in his book. And so for the rest of the book, Malcolm, he helps the reader to see how we can use our weaknesses as our strength to turn our disadvantages into advantages. I I thoroughly enjoyed the book, yes, but I thought the author did a terrible job of David and Goliath. Because David, David doesn't attribute his victory to being strategic, to being nimble, being smarter than Goliath. David attributes his victory to... God. The goal isn't to, to dare to be like David. David is flawed like the rest of us. He, he fails morally later on, doesn't he? He sins miserably later. The goal isn't to be like David. We're not David in the story. If anyone, we're Israel. We have no weapons or ability to beat this giant on our own. No matter how much strategy or willpower or self-help books will tell you, there is an enemy that we can only hide in fear from. Think about it. Don't you find as much as you want to fight it, there is still sin that has us often enslaved? As much as you try, there are times where you you just can't be free from it. We deal with our anger, but there's still traces of it in our heart. We become more generous, but there's still traces of greed that pop up here and there. As much as we want to be patient and kind, we're still at times selfish and self-centered. Sin, man, sin is a giant we can't defeat on our own. And sin leads us to death, the final enemy, the final boss. We can't defeat death. We can't win against death. Find, find five smooth stones, sling it at death, you'll still lose. Death will eat you up. We need Jesus. We need God's champion who through his 
death and resurrection defeats the great enemy for us. See, when we see that and trust Jesus, we no longer have to fear. We can then have confidence and courage. The great giant that looms over all of us, sin, Satan, death itself, has been defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory, the Bible says. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is such good news for you and for me. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this hero, this champion, the king that has laid down his life for you? Get to know him. Get to know how he changes lives. Get to know how in his great love he sacrificed his life for you and I so we could have that victory. You see, I think that's where the story is really pointing us to. As we face the struggles and fears in life, look to the greater champion we have in Jesus. Now, it's only when we can understand that, when we, need, when we see that we need a hero like Jesus, that we can learn some lessons from David. Okay? We can learn to see our world, like David, through the right perspective. To see the world through the eyes of faith, knowing that there is no giant greater than God. That while we might fear, we have the living, powerful God on our side. That the giant we might be facing in life is actually puny in comparison to how majestic and magnificent our God is. I think that's the first thing we can learn from this. Have the right perspective. But we can also learn from this story too to remember His faithfulness in our lives, to face our hardships and our struggles knowing that God is good, that He has shown up before with the lions and the bears. We can cultivate our faith in the face of fear when we trust the God who has come through us, come through for us in the past. See, when life gets hard, and it will, we need to remember His faithfulness. God never promises us that there won't be hardships, there will be. He never says that there won't be real fears that we have to face, our anxieties, perhaps, our loneliness, the injustices of the world. Yeah, they're hard. You and I will face them at times. They will seem like giants in our lives. But we need to also see God who has faithfully carried us through before. See the fingerprints of God in your life. Trust Him. Trust Him even when the trials and the tribulations seem so overwhelming, so ginormous, even when you feel so small, we have a big God on our side. And while God is powerful, He can help us fight the battles in this life. There'll be times you might win, there'll be times you might lose. There'll be times that He'll heal you, mend your broken relationships, give you the rest, the restoration your soul needs. But there are times in life where you might not slay those giants that we face in our day to day. And as hard as those moments are, we can anchor still in hope. It'll be okay. We can have confidence. We can still have courage as we run after our champion who has already won the greatest battle for us. You see, the earthly struggles, they're temporary. Keep running after Jesus who has secured for us the eternal freedom and peace only He can. Right? Have the right perspective. Look back and see how God has powerfully sustained us and look forward anchored in hope. Keep running after him, because at the cross, the great giant has already been defeated by our King Jesus. Let's pray now. Let's keep our eyes fixed on God's champion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our King. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Help us to have courage and confidence in him, the champion you've sent to go ahead of us. May your spirit empower us, reminding us of your greatness, so that we don't have to fear the struggles and the enemies in our life, because the greatest enemy in life has already been slain. Help us to keep trusting him. And as we do that, may we point others too to the great hero our world needs, the Savior we have in Jesus. Amen.